Hi, I'm Mary. And I'm Bridget. We are the co-founders of the Work Your Worth podcast, where we have transparent conversations about what it takes to uncover and utilize your value at the highest level. Hey guys, it's Bridget. And Mary. We are back for another podcast, as you may be able to tell. (laughs) (laughs) Through our voices coming through your headphones or speakers right now. We're probably blowing it up on your social media too that we've just launched a new podcast. (laughs) All right. So one thing that we want to start talking about and sharing with you all is how we are working our worth in hopes that it inspires you to always reflect and acknowledge how you are working your worth. So Mary, how are you working your worth? Well, this week, So I have been teaching a class and I really feel proud of that. And so that's something that I always want to make community for people. And it's been cool to actually see that play out. Um, We had a monthly mastermind today and I saw everybody participating and kind of taking ownership and it was just really cool. So that's how I worked my worth this week. You add so much value to our market center. You're so cool and so nice. Thank you. (laughs) I I wish so my office is right across from the training room, but I haven't been there forever because I've been working from home and it's just like, I want to go just so I can get a glimpse of you <laughs> teaching. <laughs> well, it'll end this Friday, so don't die. What about you? How did you work your work this week, Bridge? So this week I had a big win. Um, I handle all of the financials for the company that I'm a part of. And it's funny because... I always told myself that I suck at math. Oh, I don't do numbers. I suck at this. I suck at that. And it's like, no, I'm pretty great at tracking expenses. I'm pretty great at budgeting. And I've realized that through handling the company financials. And then it's like, we're just in a really good spot right now. And I got everything organized and I just feel so good about it. So it's like, I feel like I couldn't say like anymore. (laughs) Um, I feel as if I'm working my worth by acknowledging the fact that just because I wasn't good at geometry in high school doesn't mean I'm bad at math and that I am able to handle my job and do really, really well at it. Go girl. Yay. That's one of like the boring but important things. Like we say it's boring, but I actually really like staring at a spreadsheet sometimes. Yes. And it's also, it's very gratifying too. So it's a tedious task, but it's yes. very rewarding because yes. when you see your final product and just know. Oh, yeah. Um, and when you reconcile your numbers at the end of every month, oh, too, it's like, I did it. I did it. Oh, my god! It feels great. Seriously. It feels so good. So what are we talking about today, Mayors? Okay, so, guys, the topic that we're discussing today is actually it's pretty heavy. And so we've done our best to prepare for this, and we also understand that Every person, they have their own experiences, and today we're going to be sharing about our own personal experiences with mental health. And Before we start, we also just want to tell you that Bridget and I are not, nor do we claim to be, any type of doctor, psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, counselor, anything like that. We have no formal training in mental or behavioral health, and we just, I mean, what we have is our own personal experiences. And our goal today is we really just want to bring awareness to the two sides of mental health, the person going through it and the person who is watching somebody go through it. And so we want to equip you with some practical tools for navigating a world where 
the reality is that one in five people experience a mental illness. And we want you to know that you're not alone and your story as well as ours is worth sharing. Absolutely. And one of the things that led us to wanting to talk about this is it's something that we've talked about for a while Mm -hmm. off the podcast because it's something that we have so much experience with on two completely different ends. And another reason why we wanted to talk about it today is because, as you know, recently two very public figures unexpectedly took their lives, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. And this is this is what led us to revisit this topic. We've talked about it several times throughout our friendship, as I've said before. And the conversation of mental health is something that we have two opposite end of the we have opposite experiences with. So one of us has experienced a mental health health issue personally, and the other has experienced and grown up with a loved one who has it. So Mayors, why don't you take it away? Yeah, yeah. So guys, are you ready to get personal? I'm about to tell you all my issues. And, and honestly, I am an open book and it's something that in the past I wasn't able to talk about, but it's something that I have grown through. And I think sharing this story helps me even more. And so I just, let me just kind of walk you through my history. So my dad died when I was six years old. I did gymnastics from the age of three to 11. And in middle school, I was searching for my identity like every middle schooler is. Um, As silly as it is, I was a cheerleader. But then in freshman year, I didn't make the team. And I lost a lot of my friends during that. Most of my friends were in cheer with me. I did track through middle school. And then in ninth grade, after track season, I just didn't do it anymore. I I really didn't belong in any one group. And I was, I always asked a lot of those questions and I, I just wanted to understand why I got really overwhelmed by just how large the world was. And like, where did God even fit in? Like, I remember asking all of these big questions and I just wanted to know it couldn't, I couldn't make it fit. Nothing fit. Um, when I turned 16, that was probably the first time that I experienced depression. It was the first season that I remember acknowledging, okay, this is, this is not normal. Um, I gained weight during that time. Some days I just honestly could hardly face school. Like it was so, I didn't want to get out of bed. I just didn't want to face it. I didn't want to face people. I just felt, honestly, it was like just uncomfortable in my skin. I didn't understand it. I didn't really put a name into it until later in life. And, you know, over time, it was just gradually that that season sort of lifted. It wasn't anything on purpose. I think it was just time. Um, Then, you know, you graduate high school, you start college. (laughs) Guys, I got in trouble my freshman year. Um, (laughs) I got in trouble for drinking. I attended a Christian college and I got caught drinking and we had signed a lifestyle covenant saying that we're not. (laughs) Yes. If any of you guys are familiar with Bethany, Oklahoma, SNU, there's a lifestyle (laughs) covenant that you say that you sign and not allowed to drink whether no matter what no consumption of all kinds of substances but it's not a cult it's a college right (laughs) yeah exactly so um one of the things as I got caught that I had to do was um go to therapy I had to go see a counselor for I don't remember how many sessions but it was mandatory it was required so on top of a and we had to do like some sort of service project and pay a hundred dollar fine 
So, um, that was my real first experience with a therapist. And honestly, looking back now, I'm really grateful for it because <laughs> it was like, I don't know. It just never, nobody had asked me those types of questions. You would think, you know, with a lot of the stuff that I'd gone through, we never went to a therapist. Even after my dad died, there was no sort of family counseling, anything like that. And so through college, that was actually the first time that I started my first antidepressant. Um, my sophomore year was really hard. There was a lot of stuff that went on during that, just personally, um, relationships, and it was just, you know, there's hard stuff that happened in college, just even adjusting to difficult classes. Um, it was hard. And that, you know, eventually that season lifted as well. And I then started shifted my focus to, okay, I'm going to get into med school. This is what I'm going to do. I got focused again. And then once I achieved that goal, once I got accepted into school, another season sort of began because I had lost, I lost sight of something I wasn't focusing on. I'm like, who am I? If I'm not applying to med school, you know, what am I working for? And I started, I kind of started to lose myself again in that time. And I lost myself in that time and then med school started and I was really like, oh my gosh, this is a whole different level. It was hard. It was new people. It was so isolating because like you're experiencing just, number one, it's like the most difficult academically and it's a lot of pressure. Like you're taking care of people's lives. Um, And during that time, I, for the first time, like I never really had anxiety until med school. Um, And I started to experience like, severe, severe anxiety. And so we added another medicine and then I started having like legit panic attacks. So I took a, another medicine for like specifically on test days that would lower my heart rate, help me to focus. I was in therapy. I was learning just practical stuff to help me get through that. But the reality was it was just like so, so difficult. And the spring of my second year, I like remember this and it was honestly like one of the most like terrible feelings. I, it was like your basic life support class. And this is something so that you can go actually into the hospital and basically how to do like run a code and stuff like that. Well, I failed like the written part of it, which doesn't make any sense, but I just have such bad test anxiety that I failed it. And as soon as I failed it, I started having a meltdown, like crying uncontrollably, uncontrollably. I could not catch my breath. Um, but the people, like, they were going to be helpful because nobody fails it. That's what's so crazy is I failed it and nobody fails it. Huh. Um, and so I like, couldn't catch my breath. Um, but then there's a practical part where you have to, like, actually revive somebody. You have to read, like, the EKG and say, okay, they need to push this, do this. Like, typical Grey's Anatomy. Well, <laughs> I could not get through that to do that. And it was just, like, one of those, like, I felt so helpless. Like, nothing. I couldn't do anything to calm down. So finally I just had to leave, like... I just left and that was the thing that made me realize you know like this medical school thing like among others like if it's causing it's it really is interacting so much with me and these issues that I have and I haven't yet mastered a way to control those um I honestly just had to choose my health over profession that I've worked so hard and thought that's what I wanted um so it was easier for me to take a breath. I didn't know what I was going to do next, but I knew that I couldn't keep going because what if it was with a real patient and I had an attack like that? And that was just, I couldn't handle it. I just couldn't. And so enter another transition time. And again, I was 
I think I started with a new therapist because after leaving school, you couldn't see the same therapist. I was no longer a student there. So I had to find another therapist. Um, and I transitioned into working and okay guys, if you went from like med school to just like a regular job, there was so much relief. There was no pressure. I would show up at 8.30, leave at like 4.30 and go about my life. And I had free time. I had time for friends. So it was almost this like false sense of I'm out of this. I don't, I won't ever have this anxiety anymore because school is gone and all of that. And surprise, surprise, surprise. It, that wasn't true. It was just such a false sense of like relief, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so as I, um, started to realize how I was just not fulfilled again, like I entered another season, I would, this time it was more depression heavy. And I just started noticing all of these, these patterns. It just comes in waves. There's going to be seasons of extreme good. And then there's seasons where I totally feel hopeless and it's funny, I've seen five different therapists. So there's no stigma, guys. I've, take, I've seen five therapists. I've tried several different medications just to find the right one because it's really a difficult thing and it's something you have to work with your doctor to find the thing that works for you because the way that you metabolize your specific symptoms, everybody needs something a little bit different. Um, and so, you know... <laughs> I've gone through these highs and the lows. I've written about it. I feared it. And and I've tried my, my best to explain how it feels to loved ones. But honestly, it's really hard to know unless you've gone through it yourself. And so let me be like 100% vulnerable with you guys. And like, I'm an achiever and I have aspirations to these great things. And looking at these patterns in my life, I got to this point where I just, I feared my aspirations because how do I know that I'm capable of it and that it won't turn into another like life support class where I have this meltdown and I fail and it felt so outside of my control and it felt like there's nothing that I can do to prevent that so the the easiest thing to do is take on no responsibility to just live a life that maybe it's not everything that I want to accomplish. Maybe it's, you know, it's small, but at least it's safe. And it feels like I can control what I can control. Um, that may mean not having as many close friends because it's hard to explain. Like when you have a hard day to say, Hey, like, Hey guys, sorry, I'm, I'm bailing again. Here's a flake. And I don't want to be a flaky friend. So with my inner circle, I could tell them what I was going through, but with friends, it's kind of hard because nobody really understands. Um, I could be normal Mary one day and then wake up and there's depressed Mary, Mary brain. Like there's no patterns that you can really like prevent. There's no way to prevent it. Um, and so it was hard to just accept that that was a part of me. (laughs) And like, honestly, like there's so many times I'm just like so freaking pissed off that there's no magic pill. Like there's no amount of processing that's ever going to make this not be a part of me. And it's just a constant battle and something that the reality is I always just have to stay on top of it. And so through therapy and medicine, I've now come to a place where I have the skills that I need and it's not always going to be this constant battle because I'm developing the skills to get through it. And that's hard though, because it's been such a journey. I mean, it's been 
10 years since my first, first time that I've experienced this. And it's, it's a learning lesson and it's, it's needing grace from your friends and family. It's being open and vulnerable and really willing to talk about it. Um, and then there's also like the practical side of it. So for me, I think I don't want to just tell you this whole long story and make it feel like, oh man, poor Mary. She's always going to be depressed. She struggles with anxiety and that's who she is. Because let me tell you that that does not define me as much as sometimes it feels like I have no control over. I also know that I am not just my anxiety and I'm not just my depression. And I feel almost like this, almost like it's my calling to be able to help people because I think that I've been given a gift of being a bridge and making people feel safe. And so I want to do that for all of you guys. You know, I've learned some things that have worked for me and Hey, if that would help you to just being able to get a little bit of a hold on it or to find ways to feel grounded when you feel like you're spiraling. Um, so let me just share with you a couple of the things that have helped me with just like the day-to-day. So on the day-to-day, for me, it's little things that you probably aren't going to want to do, but you need to do. So whether it's going for a walk with your dog, making yourself a fancy breakfast, sitting on your porch, going to yoga, writing a blog, that's something that you guys have definitely seen me do, just talking about it. Um, I remember in college, my mom said, just go to the library, go to a public place. I'm like, mom, I don't want to, but just being around people is so helpful. So those are simple things that those are going to pull you out. And then I think one of the most important things for me that I've realized is my morning routine. Now, a morning routine is something we've all realized it. And honestly, it was through, because I was interested from the business side of things of how can I be more successful that I even developed this morning routine, but I've found that as I look through my patterns, the times that I'm consistent with it, I don't feel such extreme highs and extreme lows. I feel more like the real Mary. And so for me, that is something that I will never give up. And it, it means making a schedule that supports that. So protect that time. So when I wake up, I'm going to get up, I'm going to brush my teeth, I'm going to shower and then change your clothes. Guys, that is the most important thing. Get out of your pajamas. Honestly, most days I just change into different yoga pants. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, then I make coffee. I take my time with that. And then I'll listen to music or a podcast and just um, prepare your mind and just enjoy that time. And then I'm going to sit down in my spot and I've made this spot everything that I want it to be. I've made it pretty. I've made it comfortable. I keep my journal there. And so you, anything that makes you happy, put it in your spot. And then for the next part of it, it's honestly pretty flexible day to day. And it depends kind of on what I feel like I need that day. So I'll read my devotional. I'll go through maybe a guided journal prompt, journal for a few minutes. And then I get everything that is inside of me that feels icky. So like, you know, when you wake up and you feel like you're pulled in a million ways, like, yes get those onto paper, get it out of your head, get it out of your heart and just like, let that go route. Like on days when I feel a lot of anxiety, sometimes it's just taking all those negative thoughts, putting them down on paper and then writing something positive. That's going to counteract that negative and don't let your negative thoughts define you because they don't, that's not who you are. Um, you're going to 
any make your list of the things that you need to do today. Do that day. Do it during that time. And then I always end with writing some gratitude statements because gratitude is the highest energy level and there's like legit studies that prove that a gratitude practice will um it's sort of like taking your vitamins against anxiety and depression. So a grateful heart helps you keep that stuff at bay as well. And then I take 15 minutes to read a book and sometimes it's fiction, sometimes it's nonfiction, and sometimes I just listen to it because I'm like, my brain hurts and I'm just going to listen. <laughs> and then I just end, end that all by taking some deep breaths. I'll read my affirmations and then sometimes if I'm feeling extra, extra, I'll do a meditation. So that's my morning routine. And I'm like talking so much, but it's just like, guys, this is so important to me. And I just think that what can you do if this is something, and even if depression and anxiety isn't your thing, I still think there's a benefit of having a morning routine. And the other thing that always comes up that I've battled is, so when I'm going through those seasons and I have to be at work, how do I let the people around me know so that it's more bearable? It's more tolerable. It doesn't feel as hard to get up and go to work. And it doesn't have to be a whole conversation. You don't have to tell them the nitty gritty. It can be simple. Just tell them, hey, I'm working through a funk lately. I'm sorry that if I come across in a certain way or even just something like, hey, I don't really feel like myself today. And they're going to be understanding. They are like people, if you preface it before they can ask you the questions, because questions are like the hardest thing. You're like, I don't know. I don't have an answer because it doesn't make sense, but I just don't feel like myself. Or when someone asks you, hey, are you okay? <laughs> it's the and worst. And it's like you either just break down and cry. Yeah. Or you say, you give a very high-pitched, I'm fine. <laughs> so on the other end of that, I mean, for people who don't understand what you're mm-hmm. going through, I mean, what would you suggest for them to do on how, like, how would you like to be helped mm-hmm. when you're in those moments if you want help at all? That's a good question. And I think that's one of the, honestly, like with Kenan, it's been a really difficult thing to find out because number one, he doesn't understand. He's never, he's like one of this, I tell him all the time that I'm like, how the freak do you not understand? <laughs> and I'm really jealous because he just simply like, he's never felt pressed. He, I mean, he's never, he just simply has never felt it. And so in our relationship, it's really been having to find a way to communicate about it and come up with some almost like ground rules of like, okay, you don't have to fix me. And I think that's one of the most important things for people to know is that you don't have to fix that person. There's nothing that you can do or say that's going to instantly, there's no cure. It's just something that we get through together And so letting them know, hey, we're not asking you to fix it and it's not your responsibility. And more than anything, we just want you to listen and be present. And so, yeah, letting the other person know that you're just there, be extra sensitive and kind because I feel like that fuse that you have before you enter tears is just so much shorter when you're going through one of those seasons. Um, and please know that I'm not capable of making decisions. Every little decision feels like it's magnified. Whenever I'm going through a season of depression, I cannot function like that. Please don't ask me where we want to go for dinner. 
make that decision for me. Mm-hmm. And I will be so grateful. Like, just don't ask me questions that I'm just, I can't answer those. Um, do give me a hug if you're in my inner circle. So please don't just find someone who's like depressed and like give them a hug because they may not be into it. Like I am such like very few people I can do hugs with. Or like a mom, my, a hug from my mom is always good. A hug from Kenny. Those are the best. Mom hugs mom are hugs. good, but they also lead me to tears a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, even if they're good. Even if they're good, I'm just like, okay, thank Love you, Mom. I think, okay, on that same note, so maybe you're not a hugger. Just let me come sit on your couch and do nothing. And also, honestly, like, we don't even need to talk. Let's just, like, watch Netflix or... For me, like, I'll go over, I'll just say, hey, Kenan, can I come over? And he'll be like, yeah. And then I'll just go and sit on his couch while he edits photos. We may not even be in the same room, but just being in the same house, for whatever reason, it's it's calming and it makes me feel grounded. Um, yeah, definitely don't ask me what's wrong is another one that I would say. And just know that just because I don't want to talk doesn't mean that I want to be alone. It could just mean that I just want you there to be present. It's so important that you're owning this and that you're that you've identified what these things are. Because as someone who does love you, I mean obviously I won't ask you if you're okay and I probably will hug you <laughs> <Yeah>. regardless. <laughs> I can accept your hug, Brit. Um, <laughs> but it's nice that maybe I don't want to talk, but I also don't want to be alone. That I mean, that says so much because as someone who is on the other side of this if for me, there's so many times if, if you seem like you don't want to talk, it's easy for the other person to think that they're the problem and they'll just want to stay oh, yeah. away. Oh, yeah. It's not such a natural, I think, I mean, it's a natural human thing. So mm-hmm. I think just the understanding thing. And also, I just, like, because this has been something that I've dealt with, I've wanted, I am, like, you may have, like, the way I talked about this honestly probably sounded like I was being, like, scientific and logical and that's the way that my brain works and processes when I'm talking, when I'm like, it's so the only way that I could not be emotional as we're like doing this podcast is to like, Oh yes. Like, let me be an analytical side of like <laughs> depression and anxiety. And, yeah. And like, look at it from, I want to help other people. Um, but when I'm in it and I have to say like, I'm in a good season right now. Like this is not a time where I've been down down in it it's been a really good season and I think part of that is just the more that I learn and also I've been meeting with a new therapist and I really really like her um but I also recognize that there's going to be a time that I'm not as good and that's just something that I think you just have to own up to and even just admitting it is helpful because then you don't feel this pressure to like there's just so much strength in being willing to admit when you're going through that. And it takes so much effort to pretend like you're okay. Because sometimes, like, you're not okay and you don't feel like yourself and there's nothing that can fix it. I think it's, it could also be important to, if you're not okay, to be okay with not being okay in that uh, moment. Yeah, 100%. Because then you're just, like you said, it takes so much energy to act like you are okay. Just mm-hmm. be Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. exist in that moment, accept your current condition, as long as you have an understanding that it's going to pass. Yes. Yeah. So one of the most important things that I think I've learned from my therapist is like, don't judge your feelings. 
let it be okay, ride that wave and recognize that every wave, yes, it has like that down part, but you're going to come up again. It's not just the valleys, like you're going to come up and just recognize that. And I just, because this is my platform and I can say it, I just want you to know that you are strong and you are enough and just keep riding that wave and to just let you know that if this is something you do struggle with and you just need somebody to reach out to, maybe you haven't admitted it or you didn't realize that, hey, maybe I, maybe I am dealing with something. I just so, so, so encourage you to find community if it's reaching out to us or if it's somebody that you're close with, a family member, or there's info like online, like the um, NAMI, there's so many just different organizations that you can reach out to, but I just encourage you to don't feel like you have to go through it alone. So as we bring this episode to a close, I wanted to let you know that we're actually going to be having a part two of our mental health series. And next week, listen up to hear Bridget's side of the story and her own perspective on the other side of somebody experiencing a mental illness. Again, thank you guys for listening. And if you need anything, please reach out. We are here for you. Don't forget to work your worth this week.